You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy Mother's Day. Man, you guys clean up so nice. Really, you look great. I am. I'm, I didn't know it was possible. Wow, it's like we're usually pretty casual, and yet here you are looking great. Awesome. So uh, let me tell you, well, let me start with this. Let me show you a picture that is going to set up what we talk about for a moment. So does anybody know who all three of these are? Okay, a few of you. All right, just so you guys know, this is R2-D2, or if you're from Cuba, Arturito. And uh, this is BB-8 from the newer Star Wars films. And this is the lesser-known Chopper from the Disney animated series Star Wars Rebels, which is probably some of the best Star Wars that's ever been written. And if you haven't seen it, you probably should, so you have some homework to do, because this is probably what your mom wants to do tonight, is roll through four seasons of Star Wars Rebels. So anyway, but we're having dinner as a family, the five of us. The other, uh, this is a couple years ago now. And so I just asked my kids, and sometimes I just ask my kids these kind of random questions. But I asked them, I said, if you could only pick one droid, R2-D2, BB-8, or Chopper, which one would it be? And my older two, Xander and, and Mia, just can't decide. And, but Mia is the most vocal. Mia's my oldest. She's like, Dad, I... How could you even ask me a question like that? That's like asking, who do you love more, mom or dad? And my daughter, Livy, who is my youngest, she hears that and she says, oh, that's easy. I choose mama. <laughs> and Mia is like, Livy, you, you, you can't say that. You can't choose between mom or dad. And she says, Mia, it's okay. It's not hard. Look, I choose mama right now. Look, <laughs> see, I'm pointing at her. I choose mom right now. And my daughter, Mia, and the way kind of where we sit at the table, she kind of sits to my left, and she leans over, and she's like, Dad, I'm so sorry about this. And uh, she's just so, so mortified by this whole thing. Now, let me tell you another good, some good news about this, is that we, uh, we, <laughs> we, we did this thing uh, right, right before that. So this is around Mother's Day a couple years ago. But we did these Easter eggs for the kids at home. And inside the eggs were all these coupons. And it could be, you know, for a whole bunch of things it, you could get a coupon for. Well, one of the things that they go, so one of them is like, you get to pitch, pick what we watch on TV. Another is, um, you know, breakfast at Chick-fil-A. Or another is, um, you know, you can pick something out from the, you know, dollar section at Target. I mean, it's just kind of like these random little things, but the kids are so excited about it. So anyway, and then one of them was 30 minutes with mom, 30 minutes with dad. Well, my daughter Livy trades her brother and sister. And I'm like, I will trade you my 30 minute with mom card for 30 minutes with dad. So she trades in all now, and then she hands them to me and she says, I want 90 minutes with dad. And it was like, it was amazing. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was amazing. Now, you're good. Now, okay. Thank you for that. For the eight of you that clapped. <laughs> But here's the thing. Now, the question is, what happened? From just a few weeks ago, I choose mama, to now she's willing to trade 30 minutes with mom to get it now, you know, altogether 90 minutes with dad. Now, you might say, is this a new parenting technique? Did you read a new book? Um, no, and here's what it is. Uh, I surprised my kids one morning with Chick-fil-A for breakfast. Now, Chick-fil-A, as we know, 
this is what they're going to cater in heaven. But the breakfast at Chick-fil-A is an unspoken hero in our culture. And those little hash browns, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about, that is my daughter's love language, is those little hash browns. And so, and, and so I brought those, and she just was so taken that I would go to Chick-fil-A before they woke up so that when they woke up, it was waiting for them. Uh, one random, and it was just on a random morning. I just, I had a, a little bit of time in the morning. I said, oh, let me go do this for them. And so, and, and my point is this, is that you could be six chicken nuggets and an order of fries away from a better relationship with your children. And I'm trying to pitch this commercial to Chick-fil-A where Livy and I star in it. And Livy says, I used to only mildly tolerate my dad. And then he bought me four chicken minis. Now I love him. And then both of us say, thanks, Chick-fil-A. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm going with. But, but the moral of the story, right, is that like, things can get better. We, we, and we all want things to get better. We want, our, we want our relationship to get better, no matter how good your relationship is uh, with your spouse, with your parents, with your kids. We want it to get better. And the challenge that we face and this is really the, 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 the rub in all of these things. The challenge that we face is that we all want it to happen. We want things to get better, but we aren't exactly sure when the change is going to take place. And so, and, and we've understood this as kids and as adults, it kind of makes us crazy, but you've, you've had this moment if you've ever taken your children to Disney World and they've asked this one question on the trip that especially if you're a dad is the nails on the chalkboard question. And, and you're just, and, I, and I will, I'll tell my kids, like, I don't want to hear it. And, and it's like, and it's like they, they just can't even help themselves. It's the question they ask every time, which is, Dad, how can I serve you on this trip? Right? No, it's not. It's, um, Dad, why don't you listen to the music you like on this trip? No, it's not that. They, they ask, are we there yet? They, say, they ask, are we there yet? The last time we went to Disney World, which is, I guess now, probably about a year and a half ago, Mike, we got in the car, we got on I-75, and we started driving, and my kids said, Dad, are we there yet? And I'm like, do you see what that, what does that sign say? And they said, Pines Boulevard. <laughs> and I'm like, does that sound like we're close? When you see a castle and $20 cheeseburgers, we've arrived, all right? That, but listen, we have all been in that place where we know where we want to go and we just aren't there yet. We are in this weird middle place. We're in the place where we know where we want to go. We're not where we used to be, but we're in this place in the middle that we call the meantime, that we call the waiting room. And, and the thing that I've learned in, in my life, and I bet to some degree you've learned it as well, that the growth in your life, right, the, the maturity that comes, the wisdom that comes in your life, it never comes at the fulfillment of the promise. The growth is always found in the waiting between when the promise is given and when the promise is fulfilled. And, and the reason why is because that's when you become the person who can handle the promise. And in the waiting season of life, it is a tough season. There's no doubt about it. Because the promise has been made and it's not yet fulfilled. It's when, here's what it's like. It's like when your spouse apologizes and says they're going to change and you decide that you're going to forgive. But now you're waiting to see if the change is for real. It's what happens when your kids are acting up and then your friends tell you, hey, it's just a phase. And you're thinking, this phase has lasted 15 years. And we're, you know, but, but I need it to end. It's what happens also when you embrace the promises of God. But 
they're yet to be fulfilled. And so this is the case for the couple in our story, Abraham and Sarah. And they are the most famous couple, the first couple, if you will, of, of Judaism. Uh, Abraham is the father of faith throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. He's used as the example of what it means to be faithful, full of faith, trusting God no matter what the odds are. Sarah becomes this model for all women of a woman of God, a, a godly wife, a godly mom. And yet, what's amazing to me is that they struggled in the waiting room just like the rest of us. They believed the promises, but they struggled waiting it out. And you see, what was the promise that God had made to them? And that is that, and here it is, it's that even though they were an older couple, that God was going to give them a child. And not only that, but that through their offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now that's a pretty big promise, especially to someone who doesn't have any children. Now God gives Abraham the promise at 75 years old. At 85 years old, God repeats the promise. And this is uh, what he says in Genesis 15. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed, that is Abram, believed God, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this sounds great. It's a great moment, but here's the part that we don't recognize. It's going to be almost 15 more years until this promise is fulfilled. And here is the question that you're asking, which is the same question that all of us are asking when there's a lag between the giving of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And the question is real simple. It's this question, why? Why? And why does it take so long? I mean, I'll wait a couple of days, a long weekend, but I mean, why is it taking so long? And what I want to present to us today is way more easier said, and I'll recognize that, it's way more easier said than it is lived out. But it is vital for us if we're going to be wise and avoid the pitfalls of life. And that is, we have to recognize that there is a perspective we don't see. That if there is a God who loves us, and desires the best for us. If there is a delay, then there is something at work in us and through us that we simply don't see yet. And what I want to do is kind of fast forward you those 15 years and show you the fulfillment of the promise and what was happening to make these people ready for the fulfillment of the promise. Because here's what I know, is that if you're a Christian, that there is something where God has promised something to you. And if not, then there will be a moment where God promises something to you, and you've got to understand. If not, you're going to find yourself so disillusioned and discouraged that it's like, why did God give me this promise and get my hopes up if it wasn't going to come to pass? The reality is, if he gave you the promise, it will come to pass. We've just got to be able to stand the test 
of waiting. So we're going to start in Genesis 21, which is where the promise is fulfilled. And here's what we read. It says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore to Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which the Lord of which God had spoken to him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to tell you just in these first couple of verses. And that is this, that the promises of God are true even when there is a delay. The promises of God are true even when there's a delay. Now, I want you to note something that happens here. God says, as he had said, as he had spoken. Twice he says it, that it's like God did exactly what he said he would do. God had planned to do a work, but there is this thing that happens in the waiting room when things seem kind of delayed. And that is that we have this tendency to want to help God out. And that's exactly what happens. Now we see Isaac being born, but before that, God's given, God gives Abraham the promise and he says, you know, maybe I can just help God out. And he thought that he would help God out by having, uh, 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 you know, this in this whole child situation. And it was a disaster. Now let's Remember, the, the first passage I read to you was in Genesis 15. Some time goes by. Genesis 16, let me read you these couple of verses. It's in your notes. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had bore him no children, and she had an Egyptian handmaid whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had, she had conceived, that as Sarah saw Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, if you've never read this story, so, welcome to the Bible if you've never read the story. But, uh, but just by reading, the, if you don't know anything else of the story, just by reading this part, I don't know if there's anybody that it's like, oh, this sounds like it's going to end very well, right? No, it's not going to end very well. It's going to be a complete disaster. The child that's born is named Ishmael, and that, that is uh, the, the child that's born from this union of Hagar and Abraham. And from the moment that he's born, has hostility with Isaac, the son of Abraham. And not only throughout their lives, but even to this day, uh, the Arab nations are descended from Ishmael, the Jewish nation descended from Isaac. And after thousands of years, things are still not good between them. But what they did, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar was just to say, hey, we gotta, we're going to try to fix this in the waiting season. And what they end up doing is making things worse. And, and you might be thinking, and uh, maybe, like, well, I would never do that if I were them. But see, here's the challenge, is that we all do that because we are them. Like, we all uh, we have this temptation when the promise is given and it's yet to be fulfilled. Human nature is to say, uh, maybe God wants me to kind of make this happen myself in some way, and the result is usually a disaster. So, uh, I'll tell you this, and it's mildly disgusting, but it's Mother's Day, for, so I figured it'd be okay. And uh, so, this is probably almost 20 years ago. I got this ingrown toenail 
that made my toe swell up to almost the size of my fist. I mean, it was nasty. I mean, it, my, my toe swelled up so much, I, could, I couldn't even walk in, in my sneakers, okay? And so, and so my wife was like, why don't you go see uh, a doctor? You know, go to, go to a podiatrist. And I'm like, I don't need that. And so I decided to, and I walked into our bathroom and decided to fix it myself. And um, the problem is, and I'm just going to kind of like dig this thing out myself. Now, some of you are like, you're, 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 you're cringing because you know where this is going, right? You're like, oh, it probably worked out well for him. No, it didn't. Um, and so, because, you know, the thing is, is that I don't, because I'm not a podiatrist nor the son of a podiatrist, um, I don't have the proper instruments to get a ingrown toenail out. You know what I had? A pair of scissors. Yeah, that's exactly what I said when I started digging. And I, I mean, I was seeing stars. I think I almost passed out. So anyway, finally, after making it worse, my wife finally convinced me to go see a podiatrist. The guy, uh, uh, this is up in Coral Springs, the guy was. And uh, so I go see him. Now, uh, and this is kind of a dated reference, but for those of you that understand the reference, I would appreciate it if you let me know. But anyway, the guy, the podiatrist that I go see him, he spoke exactly like Randy Macho Man Savage. So... So I sit down, and I, I'm, I literally am limping into his office. And so then they have this, you kind of sit down in this reclining chair, and then you put your foot up. And then he has like this little, I don't even know what you would call it. It's like this little metal thing, and then it has like this little piece of fabric. It's like a curtain, I guess. You know, they, I guess they part it when they're going to open the show. And uh, so they put the curtain there. And so he's like, all right. So then he takes off my shoe, he takes off my sock, and he's like, oh, yeah. Looks like somebody did a little bathroom surgery. <laughs> and so, now he looks nothing like Randy Macho Man Savage, but sounds exactly like the Macho Man. And so, and, and so, and I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and so I'm like, yeah, sorry about that, and, and, uh, about the bathroom surgery. And he goes, it's okay. Everybody does it, but it makes it twice as painful and you don't fix it, snap into a Slim Jim, you know, whatever. Uh, and so anyway, and, and he was right. And the thing, listen, you just don't fix it. And any time, any time you try to help God out, right? Can I just tell you something? And this might be a newsflash. Like God doesn't need your help. Like there are not things that are happening in the universe that he's like, if this guy would just wake up, uh, and you know, like, what is it? 6 a.m. He'll be up soon. We're going to be able to fix this together. Like, that's not the way this works. All right. It's sleeping. It's like, perfect. Let him sleep for a little while longer. I may be able to finish this. And so that's what happens. That's what happens with all of us. And so once again, just because God gave you the promise doesn't mean you're ready to receive it. The promise that God is giving you, listen, is a vision of your future. And during this season, listen, we have to stop asking for God to like, no, but I want you to fulfill the promise now. You see, what we gotta be praying is something different. We gotta be praying for God to do the work that needs to be done in me 
in you and us so we can receive the promise. Because you know that the promise that God gives us is useless if we can't handle the promise that God gives us. And the season of waiting is never just about waiting to obtain the promise. It's about growing towards the promise, being ready to steward the promise. And the minute that you realize that, then the waiting room becomes the training room. And it's now no longer time that's wasted. It becomes time of preparation. And that's the thing that Sarah and Abraham are realizing in this moment when God fulfills the promise. And then here's what he says in verse 3. It says, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah had born to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God, as God had commanded him. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I want to tell you is that the goodness of God will work in me even when I doubt. The goodness of God will work in me even when I doubt. Now, this child's name is Isaac. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. And uh, what's Mother's Day? How many of you have kids? Okay. Now, look around. You, lo you learn more looking around than by looking at me. How many of you agonized over the names of your kids? All right. Most of us. And then I guess some of you were like, oh, I just picked one out of the phone book. And um, so anyway, but I want you to think about how hard it was to name your kids. And my wife and I agonized over the names of our three kids. Mia's name was easy because we couldn't have kids for the first 10 years of our marriage. And there was this promise that God would give to us from uh, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's this passage that says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so this idea of my grace, and so when we found out we were having a daughter, we named her Mia Grace, which is my grace after that verse. And so when my son Xander was born, um, we, we knew, uh, I, we had suggested, we wanted to name him Alexander, because we wanted to name him Xander, um, but I said, let's name him Alexander Robert Frankwiz, and my wife was like, well, your name is Robert Alexander, let's just name him after you. And I'm like, but aren't we going to confuse this kid to give him a name, a first name that he doesn't even use? And the first half of his middle name, we don't even use. So it's just the second half of his middle name. Anyway, like 50% of his name is of no use to him. And so, and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. We're, get, we're calling him a nickname of his middle name. And so I was telling a friend of mine, whose name is Kelly, and uh, he and I have been friends for like 25 years. And so I was telling Kelly this. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, Carrie and I uh, were uh, talking about this. And, you know, what do you think? And he goes, well, you might not know this, but my name isn't actually Kelly. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, haven't you ever noticed that when I sign my name, it's N. Kelly? And I'm like, I don't know. I just thought that was like Mr. Ke uh, I thought maybe it was an M, Mr. And he goes, no, my name is actually Norman but I don't really like Norman. My family always called me Kelly, so that's why I always go by Kelly. And I'm like, are you insane? What is this? And we've known each other forever. So I'm telling my friend Carl, who I've known forever. <laughs> and I tell Carl, and I'm like, do you know that Kelly's name isn't actually Kelly? And he's like, no, it's Norman. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that. And I was telling him this because I tell him the whole thing about Xander and Alexander Robert instead of Robert Alexander. And I'm like, and it's just so weird. And he goes, now, he goes, you want to know something weird? My name isn't actually Carl. And I was like, shut up. And he pulls out his driver's license and he goes, look, 
my first name is actually Marvin. So I call my friend Dan. I swear to you, this is the truth. Before God, this is a true story. And um, I call my friend Dan, who is one of my best friends. And I tell him, hey, so I'm talking to Kelly. Do you know that Kelly's name isn't actually Kelly? And he goes, no, it's Norman. And I said, well, yeah, I know that now. And I said, and then I was talking to Carl, and he goes, oh, you found out his name was Marvin. And I said, yes. And then I tell, and I'm like, Dan, this is what kind of, I don't even know what I'm going to do with this information. He goes, well, you want want me to blow your mind? (laughs) Okay. He goes, my name isn't actually Dan. It's actually Donald. But people started calling me. Someone called me Don, and Don turned into Dan, and so I've been Dan for 50 years. And I'm like, I don't know you people at all. And so anyway, and so after all of that, I named him Robert Alexander after me. And so, and now with Olivia, with Olivia, we had no idea what we were going to name her. We got to like the baby shower, and you know, which is usually pretty far along. We were still stuck. Um, Because when you're naming your baby, and if you don't have kids yet, let me just tell you the joy that you're in for. When you're naming your baby, you bring all the baggage of every person you have ever known into your life. Every TV show you have seen, every movie that's come come into play in in your life. And so now it's like you like, like a name, but it's like, no, I dated a girl that had that name. And she dated a boy that had that name. And so you like a name. And there was this crazy girl in middle school that had that name. And so now, um, I, so when Livy was going to be born, I was pushing for the name Jacqueline. And I thought of Jacqueline was great. We would call her Jax, which I think is a super cool nickname. And, uh, and my wife said it was a no-go because Jacqueline, she'd end up being called Jackie. And she knew a girl named Jackie in school that was straight up crazy. And uh, now which I was fine with because I also knew a girl named Jackie who was straight up crazy. So I'm like, yeah, Jackie's a no-go. It's going to take her down a bad path. And so if your name is Jackie, well, you probably know. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so, so we landed on Olivia. We landed on Olivia and everyone was happy. And then we named her Olivia Grace. And it was only because we ran out of time and Grace was Mia's middle name and that name was already approved. And so that's why she went with, like, Livy asked me that not that long ago. Why'd you, why'd you give me the middle name Grace? I'm like, because the, we were, the, the, the shot clock was down to, like, one. And it was, that's it. What do you got? It was just Grace. That's it. I think we decided that in the hospital. And, uh, and, and now, tell you all of that, not just to tell you just how weird my friends are. Um, but Isaac's name, and if you're not aware, the name Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. But I know what you want to think of like, you know, like a courtesy laugh. I mean, like a, like a belly laugh. I mean, the kind of laughter where you're laughing so hard, you start to cry. That's what Isaac means, that kind of laughter. Now, here's why. Why would you name uh, a child laughter? Because it was the response to the promise. You see, in Genesis 17, here's what we, here's what we get. God gives him the promise again. He says, I will bless her, that is Sarah, and I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. She shall become a mother of nations. Kings of all peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham 
fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a, man, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, what's amazing is, is that in, and I put it in your notes, in Genesis chapter 18, God visits Abraham and gives him the same promise again and tells him, and by the way, I, I love this part at the end, and uh, they'll probably skip uh, forward to it. And so, well, I'll just read it. All right, real quick, Genesis 18. It says, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So she is eavesdropping. Once again, these are tents. This is not like solid drywall concrete. This is fabric, all right? So now, now Abraham and Sarah were old, uh, well advanced in age, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, uh, Shall I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for I was afraid. And he said, No. You did laugh. What I love about this story is that Sarah is eavesdropping on the conversation, and he says, you're going to have a son, and Abraham laughs, like, oh, man, can you believe it? A guy who's 100 years old is going to have a child. And then Sarah's like, yeah, whatever. And then God says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And her, on the other side, not even part of this conversation, says, I didn't laugh. Like, why are you even listening? And so, although I... Truth be told, if God is speaking at somewhere in the house, I'm probably going to be listening too. Uh, but let me tell you something. This is important. We talk a lot about faith a lot, which makes sense because we're at church and we talk about God's kingdom. If this were like a tire kingdom, we'd probably talk about different things. But, um, but, we, but when, what we talk about, sometimes we talk about faith in a way that's uh, not totally accurate. And the way faith gets talked about just in, in church circles. And, and we, so we sometimes... We sometimes talk about faith like it's a feeling or an intellectual understanding of something, but it's neither of those things. Faith is confidence to act. It is believing God enough to step out. In fact, in, in the book of Hebrews, which we studied um, for uh, part of uh, last year and, and earlier this year, it says this, you'll see it up on the screen, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah, Hebrews 11, as many of you know, is all about the heroes of the faith, people who stepped out in faith and believed the promises of God in the waiting season that built their faith. And, and we spend a lot of time talking about faith and saying we have faith, but the proof of faith are the steps that we take because faith directs us to act. Now, let me explain that a little bit further. Let me read you this passage from the Gospels, Jesus speaking, and... Um, Oh, it's the apostle speaking, and then Jesus responds. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, uh, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, what does that mean? You have to understand the context to understand what that means and what Jesus is saying about faith. In verses 1 through 4, once again, I read you verses 5 and 6. Verses 1 through 4 are about forgiveness. 
And the conversation is, what do I do if my brother sins against me? What do I do if my brother sins against me seven times? And so then he, Jesus says, well, you forgive your brother, not just seven times, but 70 times, seven times. You just continually forgive. And so then what's the deal with the mulberry tree? You see, the roots of a mulberry tree were thought to be extraordinarily strong. And, and honestly, a mulberry could stay rooted for five, 600 years. That's how deep the roots were. And the point that Jesus is making is when he's saying that you can actually have extraordinary forgiveness is what he talks about this mulberry tree. If you have unforgiveness and bitterness that is deeply rooted, and it may seem like a mulberry tree that is immovable and keeps you from moving forward, what Jesus is saying is, is that if you have even the smallest grain of faith, Jesus through faith can rip those mulberry trees of bitterness and unforgiveness out, clean out by the roots if we will exercise faith and forgive. Because faith is way more about trusting than it is about knowledge. And so many times people pray for uh, more faith, but they have no intention of doing anything with the faith that they're talking about. What I love about Sarah is that she laughed in unbelief, but the waiting room produced this incredible faith in her life that is to be celebrated. That's why in Hebrews 11, it mentions her, and it says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who was promised. And that's why she laughed later in life, and it meant something totally different. In fact, let me read you the last two couple verses, and then we're done. It says, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah says, God has made me laugh, and all who, will, all who hear will laugh with me. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing I want to tell you is that the faithfulness of God will allow me to enjoy the fulfilled promise. Um, my wife... Uh, of 24 years now, uh, is the best chef I have ever known. Uh, when I met my wife, I weighed 180 pounds. And now, I don't. And uh, in fact, four years ago, I weighed 280 pounds. I also don't now either. But now, and I'm not saying that my wife made me fat. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that her cooking was not encouraging me to be skinny. And so, but see, the level of understanding that my wife has of, of cooking, it brings its problems. When we go to a restaurant, it takes me approximately 10 seconds to scan the menu and know what I'm going to eat, which is usually a salad and then some type of protein that I wish was three times larger um, as on, on, on the side. And so my wife takes several minutes to scan the menu because she sees all of these dishes that they offer as mere suggestions. And so what she'll do is, is that she starts discerning that if I take the protein from one dish and the sauce from another dish and the vegetable from this third dish, I can put these things together like Voltron where all five lions form a giant robot, if you're following with me. And, so, and, when, you, and when she gets it, it is like the greatest thing ever. And people are like, this is, this is amazing. And this is why my friend says that uh, my wife is the only person who still cooks when she goes to a restaurant because she's, she's making all this. But the other thing is this, and this is another thing I've noticed about my wife, is that that thing that she's making always takes a little bit longer. 
because special orders always take a bit more time. And here's my point, is that if you're in a season of waiting, could it be that God is, not, is doing something that's not just quite right off the menu? God's doing a special order like he did for this couple? And that's why in uh, the book of Isaiah, I love this. It says that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, the season of waiting is going to strengthen you for the next season. You know what I love is that Genesis 23 tells us how old Sarah was when she died. She was 127 years old. That is the only woman in the Bible where it tells us how old she was when she died. Now, some say that's sexist. I think that I was taught that it was polite not to ask women how old they are, and I think I have a biblical proof for that now. But here's the thing. She was 90 years when Isaac was born, and so she lived another 37 years. That means she experienced the joy of the promise being fulfilled for another 37 years of her life. And, and what, what does that mean? What that means is this, is that it's not too late. It means that you don't have to rush things or force things or try to control everything because you're in the season of waiting because you have a heavenly father who loves you. This is why God invites us into his family because everything that we're supposed to learn is supposed to happen within the context of a family, within our family at home, within God's family here at church. And listen, if, if you're like me, you grew up in a broken home, like I did, or with, you know, maybe with, without one of your parents or both of your parents, listen, that wasn't the design. And you know that in your bones from the time that you're young that that isn't the design. The design was for you to grow up in a home with two parents that loved each other, that showered you with love, so you didn't have to be confused about what life was all about. Because being part of a family was supposed to transform you in a way that nothing else can. My wife and I have had essentially one simple goal uh, since our three kids were born, and that is that we wanted to train our kids to be wise. That is the thing that we talk about all the time. It's what we pray for our kids daily, is that they would just exude wisdom. But see, the fruit of wisdom, the fruit of wisdom, would that they would have a joy that is unspeakable. And that's why we've always said this as a family. The, our, our, our goal as a family has always been this. We want to be the ones who laugh the most. That's the, one con the only contest. I don't, I don't have, want to be the richest family. I don't want to be the family with the most stuff. Here's the one contest I want to be, win. I want us to be the family that laughs the most because when there's laughter, there's connection. When there's connection, there's communication. When there's communication, there's joy. And that, my friends, is the whole ball game right there. So um, on Monday, this is a few days ago, the five of us are at home having dinner. And we're telling stories, because that's what we do at our house. We tell stories. And um, I was telling my kids a story about going to a fabric store in downtown Boston with my mom at the age of seven, and that there were no... You know, there's no phones, there's no iPads or tablets. It's, you just stand there. Uh, and, and they were like, well, how long was your mom there? And I'm like, like two hours. I mean, it could have been 20 minutes for all I knew. I didn't, also didn't own a watch. But, uh, and I'm like, but it was, this, it was down, and it was just, you just got to just, you know. And so then you just start looking around and, you know, untwirling things and getting yourself into trouble. And so I just start telling the story. And my son Xander starts laughing so hard that the water that he's drinking comes out of his nose. And then everybody starts laughing. 
And then my daughter Mia says, hey, dad caught you at a bad time, huh? And uh, then everybody starts laughing. A few minutes later, we're telling another story. And Mia spits up the water because she's laughing so hard. And my daughter Livy says, hey, did dad catch you at a bad time? And, um, and then uh, we're talking about something else. And then Livy spits up the water. I mean, and it like shoots across the table because um, she's laughing so hard. And Mia says, hey, did dad catch you at a bad time? And, um, and, and my friends uh, and my wife and I just looked at each other. And we're like, we're doing it. We're, we're the family that laughs the most. Because that's what happens, my friends, with the blessing of God. You embrace it even in a season of waiting. My wife and I waited 10 long years to have our first child, and now we sit around the table every night, and just like Abraham and Sarah, we laugh that God has fulfilled the promise to us. Because, my friends, the blessing of God is not just for you. When God blesses your life, it becomes a blessing to everybody around you. And that's why family is so powerful. That's why laughter is so powerful. And it's the kind of laughter, it's the kind of joy that Jesus invites us to when we come into his family. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise. Whatever the promise is that you've given to us, that there will be joy at its fulfillment. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that we can have joy even now because we trust you, because we're reminded of the promise that says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what makes us strong, is trusting in you and having joy even before the promise is fulfilled because we have found you to be faithful. So help us in that, Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.